Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, before we jump into this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon, I want to remind you that Palace Coffee Company is still giving $1 from every cause latte sold this month and next month to 24 Hours in the Canyon. This month's cause latte is the Espresso Tonic, and it is really good. Uh, it's made with Topo Chico, so that may be something that totally uh, catches your attention. And uh, it's very, very tasty. Cools you off on a very hot day. And then there will be another one next month. So remember, $1 from every cause latte comes to helping local cancer survivors. You can find Palace locations at, in Canyon on the Square. You can find the one downtown on Polk Street. There's one at 34th over by TJ Maxx and Jason's Deli. And then the newest one and largest one, actually, is over off of I-40 in Georgia. Uh, there in the shopping center there in Wolfland. So get by any of those locations, buy you a cause latte, and score us some money. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey, Ron. How are you today? I'm good, Pam. How about you? I'm good. I want you to uh, jog your memory, and I want you to think about March of 2020. Yeah, I'd rather not, Pam. (laughs) I know. It's a scary time. It has been. It has been. And I tell you, as scary as it's been for us and the what I would say the general public, I know that it's been compounded and worse for our cancer survivors, those in treatment, uh, those newly diagnosed, and even those out of treatment, right? Right. Yes. It's a scary time and they, the unknown, finding hope in there um, is kind of hard for them. Yeah, that's that that four letter word hope. Um, how many times have we said, I hope we are he, whatever insert next? I hope we're almost finished. I hope we can get back to normal. I hope we can reopen the survivorship center. You know, we went through periods of, of that where we need, felt it best to close uh, for the safety of our survivors. Uh, but yeah, today's topic, right? We're going to really dig deep and dwell on that, those four letters, hope. And uh, I tell you, I th- I'm, I'm really excited about our guest. I think you are as well, right? Yes, I'm very excited. It was a good Google search for me. That's right. That's right. You know, it's funny. Who, who, you never know who we're going to find. And I tell you, um, we have always said we're going to go with the experts. And, uh, and we always kind of joke and say no pressure. But uh, we have someone today, uh, Dr. David Zuniga, has, has been so gracious to join us. He's a licensed psychologist with expertise now, Pam, follow this, because how many podcasts have we talked about with these components? Expertise in mindfulness, spiritually integrative counseling, grief, loss, and wellness. Uh, Dr. Zuniga has worked for over a decade in pediatric and adult oncology and end-of-life healthcare. Uh, he's got countless publications, frequently sought after speaker, which is why we're speaking with him today. Dr. Zuniga, thank you for joining us. Hey, I am genuinely excited to be here, Ryan and Pam. And, and just on a little personal note, so, you know, we're doing this podcast and we've, we shared a few emails to set it up and I just enjoy chatting with y'all and I'm glad to be here, really. I appreciate the opportunity. 
Well, we are we are really really happy. Uh, you 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 dwell in the area uh, that we live in and yeah. work in and 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 work towards with our survivors. And you know, gosh, I, I was talking as I said, you know, they've been through so much, right? You know, um, we closed down. I know that uh, they weren't allowed guests while they were receiving their chemo treatment or radiation um, masks. Do we? Don't we? you know, this is the wrong kind. That's the right kind. I know m- many of our survivors were super uber extra cautious, yeah. not doing things, missing out on birthdays, holidays, because it's been a several year thing. Um, how do we, how do we pull through this and kind of turn that page and really find hope? Yeah. Great question. Thank you so much, Ryan and Pam and, and all the listeners too. I think the thing, the, the first thing, when we think about hope, is it's good to define it. And, and I'll actually offer kind of a definition of hope, if that's okay. And where my definition is coming from, y'all, is, is from, and, and you know, anybody can access this, by the way. This is a free online tool that um, a nerd like myself finds particularly fun. But, but I think it's a, it's a fun resource. If you just go to uh, online, free resource, the American Psychological Association Dictionary. Uh, and it's 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 an amazingly fast little tool, uh, and you can get some access to good research and you know oncology related things. But the American Psychological Association defines hope as quote the expectation that one will have positive experiences, or that a potentially threatening or negative situation will not materialize, or will ultimately result in a favorable state of affairs. And then maybe I'll just repeat that for our listening audience one time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the American Psychological Association defines hope as the expectation that one will have positive experiences or that a potential, potentially threatening or negative situation will not materialize or will ultimately result in a favorable state of affairs. That's, I think, a good working definition of hope. Oh, I would, I would agree. Um, it fits my use of the word hope, Pam, I know we've talked about <laughs> varying ways, the, the things we hope for. Right. Yeah. I think hope is just a simple word, um, but it has a complex definition, I think. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right. And as, you know, patients, caregivers, survivors, we're all trying to think about what does hope mean? You know, and as an example, with the pandemic, uh, I loved how you all were chatting about it right at the beginning of the show there, you know, the pandemic started. About two years ago, it really kind of came in force in the United States. And there were these windows and, you know, we might have gotten our hopes up. And then there was the Delta variant or the Omicron variant. Yes. <laughs> so, so one thing I think about hope, um, as a psychologist, I like to get really practical, you know. And, and I even kind of have a model in some ways to kind of maintain hope. And, and, and what I mean by that is we all need kind of guides or mentors, uh, you know, maybe that's a social worker or a psychologist or a chaplain or a minister or a nurse or a neighbor, you know, a good friend, or, you know, maybe you're reading the diaries of Mother Teresa or something. I don't know. But, you know, we all need guides along the path, you know, including myself, including us all, all of us do. Um, And, you know, that could also be like support groups, you know, like at your wellness center or something like that. But we all need guides. Second, we do need a kind of, you know, 
call it what you will, set of beliefs, philosophical template, um, cognitive schema through which we view the world, but we do need some kind of philosophical template for how we understand a world where a pandemic could happen or where good kind people get cancer or where there's you know warfare or things like that. We need a system for us that explains the world and that's kind of authentically our own, that kind of resonates in our bones. But the other piece to that is we also need the, the last two parts of this formula, I think, and kind of, and we'll, we'll talk about all this more, but, you know, in cultivating hope, you need guides, you know, maybe that's an oncologist, minister, good friend, aunt or uncle, you know, mm -hmm. um, but we need guides. We need a system, you know, a philosophy, beliefs, but something that makes sense of the, you know, um, slings and arrows of the world. And then we also need a method a practice. And that's the key. And it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to run a marathon, you need a training plan. And, you know, if you're uh, Christian or Buddhist or, you know, existential or, you know, uh, a physicist who's into nature, you know, whatever is your template of the world, we need practices. We need practical techniques to make our beliefs a lived experiential reality. You know, and, and so it's kind of like, how do you make these nice ideas, you know, kind of when the rubber hits the road, you're diagnosed with cancer, there's a pandemic, you know, when you're stressed with your kids or whatever is going on, you know, <laughs> I just had to take my kids to school before the podcast. So anyways, <laughs> but, <laughs> we're keeping it real, but that's also, right. <laughs> that's right. Right. and then, then uh, uh, you know, and then the other thing is uh, we need a community, you know, as, as the 16th century poet John Donne said, no one is an island. We need a community, you know, and that's why, for example, you know, like in an infusion clinic, you know, those nurses, they, be, you know, the nurses, the other patients, like they become like a second family sometimes, you know, yeah. we all need community. And again, that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength and insight. Um, you know, as one example, um, you know, you'll remember the Texan cyclist, Lance Armstrong, and I, I know he had some complications, but, but I mean, one thing Lance said was true was, you know, he won the Tour de France seven times. I know, you know, maybe he did some unskillful behaviors, but he did win the Tour de France seven times. And he said one, he said on more than one occasion that having cancer was way tougher than doing the Tour de France. And he's right about that. You know, and, and so any cancer patient, cancer survivor, cancer caregiver, professionals, nurses, physicians, social workers, those are the real heroes of our society, you know, and, and frankly, Ryan, people like you too, raising awareness, you know, this, this is what it's about. This is what we need. You know, we're a cancer of community. We try to cultivate a cancer of survivors. Yes. This is hero stuff. So you talked about good guides. How do you know if you have a good guide? Excellent question. And, and I was thinking the same thing because I was like, I don't know if it, I don't. Am I a guide to somebody? Am I? Am I? You know, maybe I'm not a good enough good guide. I don't know. But that's a yeah. My thought was, you know, we hear times when patients come in here and they say, "I just want to quit treatment. I'm done." But I feel like that's giving up hope, and my family doesn't understand it. So I don't feel like their family is a good guide if they can't. Well, I, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're fine. Uh, okay. <laughs> I just want to hear what y'all have to say. Like, um, uh, well, and, and to backtrack, just to kind of, you know, lay a foundation for an answer. I, I think y'all, 
uh, like especially what you just said, Pam, you, you really both, I, I wanna highlight and come back to something you said too, Ryan. Um, I'm actually taking a few notes, but anyways, um, you're right, Pam. Sometimes your family won't get it or your neighbors won't get it. And sometimes people had been really good sources of support in the past. Um, cancer's scary. And sometimes when we even hear the word cancer, it can bring up, like, let's say you have a neighbor, good friend, you know, uh, you know, who lives on your block or something, and they get diagnosed with cancer. A child, they need help. They need support. We're all worthy of help and support. But sometimes a challenge cancer patients face is you say, hey, I have cancer, you know, maybe I'm going to do chemotherapy. And then the person you're trying to seek support from, it is a scary thing. They may have their own stuff that's all unresolved. They may be worried about cancer too. And, and another challenge of cancer is that um, like the three of us looking at each other through the miracle of Zoom, um, you know, one of us could have cancer and we might not even know it, which is emblematic of how you could be, you could be extremely sick with cancer and look completely fine. Yeah. So, right. Right. So it's kind of a weird exercise in cognitive dissonance, like someone can look OK and really be suffering. So kind of for a host of reasons and the pandemic itself made, you know, getting support more complicated for sure. Um, one thing about getting, you know, how do we tell who is a good guide? Some of that could be a little uh specific, like if you're looking for a therapist, how to look for a therapist or that kind of thing. But in general, you know, you already illustrated one of the principles, Ryan, when you said, I think, am I a good caregiver? Like, the, or, or however you said it. Um, the first thing about being a helper is help as having self-awareness and checking our ego and seeing what is our motivation? What is our intentionality? Why are we doing what we're doing? You know, and, and just kind of the, the self-awareness to even ask the question of, huh, am I qualified to do this? Or am I doing this well? Or could I be doing it a little better? Like, that's the humble stance that we all want to cultivate. And I guess the other thing to offer real quick, if it's okay, is, um, you know, how do we tell one way, you know, and, and, and things will look a little different, you know, if you're selecting a therapist or, you know, whatever it is. But um, one central question to ask yourself, um, and including with hope, is just what, the, what, what is the direction of my life that I want it to be? What do I want the story of my life to be? When I'm looking back on the scope of my life, what is most important, what matters, and what doesn't matter? All these types of questions. And then you start, you know, if you're looking, like if I say, I'm going to go to Pam for support, you know, like Pam's my next door neighbor, you know, she, uh, you know, she's a nurse and, you know, she's not really my next door neighbor, but she is a nurse and, <laughs> and we're friends, but, you know, like hypothetically, uh, you know, and I say, ah, oh, you know, I have cancer. I'm going to go reach out. Oh, wait a minute. Pam's an oncology nurse. I'm going to go talk to her. Um, you know, and then you have to say one, does it feel like the advice I'm getting, does it check out? Is it rational? Does it seem kind of congruent with what's happening? And then the second thing, whether it's, you know, seeking support from a neighbor or trying to learn how to do meditation, whatever it is, is it helping the quality of your life? You know, and you can even kind of get down a little bit to the nitty gritty of one thing, like even in a therapy setting, I encourage my clients to do is I just say, you know, once or twice a day, just take a psychological temperature check. Just how you feel, how you doing, you know? 
What thoughts am I having? What emotions am I having? You know, how's my body? We hold a lot of stress and tension in our bodies. How am I doing? You know, and if you seek out support from Pam, the oncology nurse or Dave, the psychologist or, you know, a you know, Buddhist monk or a minister or, uh, you know, whoever it is, um, just kind of look at the fabric of your life. How are my emotions changing over time? What are my thought patterns like? Do I have hope or do I have despair? Kind of look at the data of your own life. It's kind of like being a scientist of one in a way. Wow, that's that's all great information. You know, the other thing, too, I think you talk about a guide and a mentor. Um, I I see and I, and I think, uh, Dr. Zuniga, you, you would agree. Um, Cancer survivor to cancer survivor, there's an incredible like magnetic connection often happens where it's like, it's like two twins speaking, you know, uh, well, that, that was a really bad description, two twins, because two is twins. And so twins, <laughs> okay. twins speaking. Well, you could this, have three twins. You're you right. Have three. <laughs> <laughs> twins speaking this common language, you know, vernacular together and they get it. Right. Um, there is great value to a mentor slash guide who has been there, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, for example, like, uh, well, and it's, it's true for pan- cancer patients. I'll give a quick example of myself. Like, so I started out as a chaplain and then after working about, I went to divinity school, started out as a kind of interfaith chaplain in oncology, then went back to school, became a psychologist. But, you know, just last night when I started working as a chaplain uh, in Austin, Texas, I, um, I was in my 20s, I guess, and I, I had a kind of wise mentor friend. Uh, she's, her name is Cecile Adam. And, uh, you know, uh, she was probably in her 50s. I was in my 20s, uh, you know, and she had three decades on me. And, you know, we, we, we got hired, I think, on the same day as chaplains. And um, we just went out to dinner last night. Now I'm in my 50s and she's in her 80s. But she's still kind of a mentor to me, you know. Sure, sure. And, and we all need that. Uh, yeah, right. and, and if I can too, uh, Ryan, like, you know, what you said is just a hundred percent true. Um, one analogy I often use, I used to work a lot with military veterans and, um, one analogy I use is, and it's surprising to people, but I think it's true. Uh, being a cancer survivor is a little bit like being a military veteran. And, and if you think about the journey, you know, you have a, you know, man or woman goes overseas, serve, serve their country, uh, and they might be in combat, they might be exposed to trauma. But one thing you'll hear from veterans is it's often surprisingly hard uh, when they're no longer on their deployment, when they return home. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and part, you know, like you would think, oh my goodness, you're back with your family, back in, you know, your comfy house and sofa, and, you know, you're not in combat. But what soldiers will sometimes say is, well, when we were in combat, we knew what the expectations were. Everything was very simple and clear. You know, we had a whole structure around us, you know, like psychologists and psychiatrists who specialize in supporting military veterans. You have a whole community around you that gets it. And then you come home. And I think it's often the exact same thing with cancer patients. You know, so like you were saying, Ryan, there is a kinship that is often kind of immediate and powerful. Absolutely. I think that's a great observation. And I would just, you know, throw this out to our listeners. Um, If this is striking with you, like, ooh, that 
sounds like something I could benefit from. You know, we have a resource. Uh, we've been working with the Fourth Angel uh, program for quite some time. Um, probably, Pam, what, four or five years now. And since our doors open. Yeah, pretty much. And um, it's a free service. Uh, they, you fill out a form, you fill out some information about your diagnosis, your treatment, where you are, your stage of life, your age, your demographics, and so forth. And then they carefully match you up uh, nationwide uh, with, with um, another survivor that's about the same, has gone through about the same, you know, and it's, it's so unique because at first when we started this program, I felt like we needed to have it in-house. Like we need to do this. We need to do this. And then it was brought to my attention. It was like, well, wait a minute how open are you maybe with someone that you might see at the grocery store or how open are you maybe with someone that maybe you go, Oh, we know somebody together. And so I'm not going to really pull back the, the bandaid all the way. And so these are people that the, the likelihood of you ever coming across this person in real life is zero more than likely. And so um, it is a very unique program. Again, it costs you nothing uh, as you're listening to this, um, it is an amazing thing that they pair you up and then work from there. So um, that's the the help that we can provide from a mentor standpoint um, that may be of a benefit to you guys. Can I ask a quick question? I'm so sorry. Like, I'm genuinely interested in that. Like, uh, and, and you may have said this, Ryan. Sure. Uh, and that's nationwide, you said? Yes, it is. And, okay. and so they, it's done from, um, it, it was started by Scott Hamilton, uh, the ice skater. And uh, he felt like his fourth angel was his mentor. Um, I think his first angel was the physicians. The second was his nurse and family family was in there as well. And then the fourth was his mentor. And um, it's done by the Cleveland clinic and they, they background check and they, they do all of with all the people who are mentors, they do an onboarding program that says, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's what we want you to do. Here's what, you know, we don't want you to say, drink lemon juice and it cures everything. You know, right. Here's, here's how you become a mentor and what that looks like. And so then they pair you up because let's say you have this weird, um, you know, super duper rare cancer that maybe there's only three in the state of Texas. And so this way it's nationwide and you actually get paired up with someone who has been there, done that. Wow. And, and did you say you probably, I'm just genuinely curious, like, like, you know, for those of us who aren't in Amarillo, like we could just go to your website. Is that we absolutely could? Okay, we absolutely okay. can. And and it's we we kind of we partner with with them, but huh. it costs us nothing to partner with them. We're just spreading the good news that they have this resource available. Because otherwise, oh. if you're not going to the Cleveland Clinic, more than likely you don't have any idea this is available. So oh. anybody, if you're listening today and you are in Australia. You can go to the Fourth Angel program and maybe they'll have someone that they can match up. Because I do know, Pam, right? They do have some worldwide folks that they've got as well. And, you know, if they want to, they can go back and listen to our podcast with um, the two people from the Fourth That's Angel right. we um, interviewed. Wow. That's right. Cool. It was really well, see, Oh, sorry. But that, that's also an example of hope right there, right? Like just what you just described. And actually, like, because we also want to talk about hope in the present moment. And I was listening to y'all and I'm like, whoa, that is really cool. You know, and I work in oncology too. And I was like, huh, I hope that's available to other people. And yes, it is. But it is. but it's also, right, right. So just in a sense, like that's another kind of little window of hope because, you know, we think about let's, you know, cultivate hope, you know, for my, you know, 
MR, maybe you have scan anxiety, you know, for an MRI in two months or something, you know? And so, yes, like we were talking about earlier, like let's cultivate guides. Like you were just exam, you know, giving example of Ryan, let's have a philosophy, a practice, a community to support us. But also there's kind of, and I like that model, but there's also just kind of hope in the moment. Like right there, I was like, ah, I hope that's available everywhere. It is, you know, oh, it's actually free. Other, maybe other clinics could do it too if they go through the processes. But also like maybe a listener is just listening and they're like, huh, maybe I could do that too. And they haven't yet done it, but they hear that and through your podcast and then they have a little ray of hope. And that's one of the way that hope works. Yeah, you have this thought and then the thought elevates your mood and then maybe you can direct your behaviors towards that goal but hope can be like a little spark that can build and you know that's exactly right and i think pam you would agree we we have a lot of hope with this podcast a lot of hopes on our end that we are hoping to be able to reach and share information and resources that are really we always say you don't need to know about us until you need to know about us. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and and that's exactly kind of what this is, is like someone comes into a cancer diagnosis and, and cancer treatment and more than likely, unless they've been touched previously, they are, they are coming into this completely without any knowledge of what needs to happen and what's available. And that's what's most, you know, just making, getting that, as you said, that little sliver, that little ray of hope of someone else has been down this path that I'm on and I can actually talk to someone that could be one of the most powerful pieces right there. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I really appreciate that. Well, and in a similar vein, like, um, you know, speaking of the pandemic, which definitely impacted cancer patients and caregivers uh, and survivors, one kind of manifestation of hope, I would say, from the pandemic is like, look at us right now. Like, I never used Zoom before the pandemic. I didn't even know what Zoom was. Or, you know, y'all are up. I think, are you both in Amarillo? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, you know, I'm in Austin. Y'all are Amarillo. We probably have listeners all over the world. And, you know, the pandemic uh, cases are definitely dropping, you know, by the time the pandemic, uh, or by the, you know, by the time this is actually kind of up and live, the recording cases will probably be even lower. So that's kind of exciting. Like that's right. a little hope. Like whenever y'all come out, I think I may check the case level that day from today and compare, you know, but, but also another kind of, I do think a hopeful note from the pandemic, a challenge, see sometimes hope and challenges exist simultaneously. It's kind of like when the night is darkest, that's when you really see the stars. And so, you know, with this pandemic, ah, oh, you know, it is tough. It's, it is hard, you know, we, we had to, you know, try to flatten the curve, protect nurses like Pam, you know, protect cancer patients like your listeners, right? But we have gotten more mobile and nimble and flexible and, and as a society and as a world. And so hopefully we can take some of this connectivity and creative ways of, communication and keep those going forward. Also, you know, it's getting safer to get together and let's do that too, you know, but, you know, for like, sometimes cancer patients have compromised immune systems, you know, or you're going through bone marrow transplant or, you know, whatever is going on. We, like you just said, Ryan, you know, you could have somebody in Australia, but they could get connected, you know, for this program through y'all with somebody in like Albuquerque. How awesome (laughs) is that? You know, like that's, 
It is. It is. You know, and David, what you said there too, Pam, think about this. Um, when we first kind of closed down, we knew, we knew, and I say we, we as a collective, we, Pam, myself, and Tiffany, our counselor, and Liz that we work with, um, we knew that counseling was going to be something that just could not stop. And you talk about Zoom and things like that. And I remember having that discussion of going, okay, but how, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And so we go down this path and try to figure it out. And lo and behold, um, Tiffany comes back and says, you know, I was really reluctant to do telehealth, but I'm finding I'm reaching people that I never would have reached before because it's so convenient and they can be sitting in their car on their lunch break out of, you know, work. And I'm at my house and they're sitting in their car eating their lunch and we're having a session. Exactly. And like the, there, are, there is wonderful things that have come out of this, just as you were talking about. Right. Well, and I will say, as particularly for the cancer community, uh, cancer patients often have lifting restrictions. They might be at fall risks. Uh, they, you know, even before the pandemic, they had compromised immune systems. Sometimes they just have a lot of fatigue. And, and so, yeah, for like as a psychologist who serves the oncology community, Zoom is our friend, you know, and even from a therapeutic perspective, um, you know, as a psychologist, you always want to have compassionate data. You always want to know what's going on in your client's life so you can help them. But I have to say, um, doing Zoom, you know, you can get, as we'd say, clinically relevant data, like, oh, you actually see that dog that, you know, it barks in the middle of the night that interferes with their sleep quality, or, you know, like, you just get a window into their world. Like, um, some psychologists or psychiatrists recommend a few, and this shifted a little bit kind of in the era of managed care or whatever, but it, it sometimes is recommended to do a home visit in therapy just to see the world of the client. And now you can do that with a click of a button. Like it's not all bad. And it's, and especially for the unique needs of the cancer patient, cancer community, it actually can be quite a plus. So absolutely. Well, let's talk about, we've talked about the guide and the mentor. Let's talk about system. Yeah. And let's talk about what that looks like for our cancer survivors. Yeah, absolutely. Well, part of that is places like good clinics like yourself and offering um, research-based forms of support. And um, the other thing is we do need a community because it is hard for being a caregiver too. Um, you know, caregivers also have compromised immune systems a lot of the time and, and, you know, and go through great challenges as well. It's kind of like, forgive me, but I'll make another kind of military analogy. In, 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 you know, in the military, it's often said the family does the deployment with the soldier, you know, he, yep. he or she who was deployed, family does the deployment too. And, and I think that's true of cancer patients. Yeah. You know, the family's there too. And uh, so, you know, cancer givers, so cancer caregivers do also need to rest. We, we do all need to rest, you know, and sometimes as caregivers, whether you're family, friends, nurses, it can be hard to take off your badge, you know, mm -hmm. but we do have to do it. And, and so that's one of the many reasons why ideally we have a community of support and maybe even more than one community. And, and this is where it's great. You know, like um, I'm thinking of a person I knew who had cancer and uh, she was able to keep running marathons through her cancer treatment, you know, and I would imagine her running community was a community of support. 
Certainly, you know, churches, synagogues, mosques can be sources of support, yeah. therapy groups, you know, uh, you know, at the Harrington Cancer and Health Foundation, maybe you have an art therapy group, maybe you have a meditation group, maybe you're in your neighborhood and your next door neighbor, you talk about walking your dogs together. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get support and maybe different forms of support give you different things and they address different psychological needs and that's good too but but yeah yeah go on right i think about pam i think about about our water exercise as he said maybe there's a group and maybe there's a you know your uh, a class and i think about the water exercise because when i go down to see the water exercise group um there's always have you seen so-and-so they haven't been to class they they check on each other and they do they kind of they have lunch together and they they go do things together and they celebrate birthdays together and so you know that's not to say all of our classes are that way but the water group sure is you know and as david was talking i was thinking about our calendar of events you know we have the yoga we have meditation we have qigong we have tai chi um we have counseling but for our listeners, you know, there is a place for caregivers there too. Mm. And we really want them to come and enjoy the activities um, as a safe space, as a safe community, as a safe system um, to get involved. Yeah. And see, that's uh, that's so good because an- another idea in ecology that I, I'm sure y'all know is when you're supporting the caregiver, you're also supporting the patient. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And just a quick note, um, I'll share, I think I said this like when we were kind of chatting before we officially started, but uh, I used to be a faculty member at MD Anderson and and I I worked in the integrative medicine department. And the only reason I share that is because like, um, you know, Ryan, Pam, y'all were sharing some of the services you offer. So things like, you know, yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, art therapy, I think you mentioned, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any of that kind of stuff especially for oncology patients, there's actually research supporting the benefit of that. So, and that's also kind of a hopeful thing. Like, I think when we think of getting help, the kind of traditional model is getting counseling. And as a psychologist, I'm a fan of counseling, (laughs) but there's also a hope that there's other creative modalities out there, some of which you can do on your own. You know, um, you know, like for sure, it it is amazing opportunity to do an art therapy class. If you haven't had that opportunity, I encourage you, you know, but you could do some art therapy at home. You can also do Tai Chi, you know, yoga, those kind of things you were describing, uh, Pam at home. And so that's kind of a hopefulness too. Like I'm a lover of counseling and yes, counseling is a research supported method of, of helping people. And I'm hopeful because we're more and more cultivating skillful ways to help people, creative ways to help people, you know, with kind of the stuff you're talking yeah. about. That matters. David, thank you so much for sharing that. Sometimes I feel like and maybe Ron and I come up with these <laughs> crazy ideas, but it's not, it's research-based. And yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, Pam, the other thing to, to tag on to that is, um, David would say, you, you can do that stuff at home. You can do art therapy at home. Yeah. You, can, you know what else you can do at home, Pam? You can get onto our website and go to one of our probably 200 plus YouTube videos that we cre- had our instructors create during the height of the pandemic because we had yoga videos you could do at home. We had walking videos that you could do, um, chair yoga, 
you know, you can baby step into these classes and these activities and do it from the comfort of your home. And then as you feel more comfortable with, I don't want to go to yoga class. I don't understand it. Do some of those classes online and then come to our class. And you don't, you know, we're never here to embarrass you, obviously. But if you're not comfortable coming to a class, this is a good way just to test it out check it out and say, now the one class we don't have on there is water exercise. So it's kind of hard to do a video of water, but you can come to the water exercise class independently. <laughs> but no, you're, you're right, Pam. I mean, those are easy ways that actually work and it makes right. sense to have those classes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff like that works. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I no. just want to affirm that. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking a lot about finding hope. What about, what does loss of hope look like? Oh, such a good question. Uh, you know, it can look differently, but one way it often looks is, you know, we want to be careful because it can, it can feel like depression. That was my first automatic, you know, response to what you said. Um, there was, by the way, a fun resource y'all might want to check up uh, that I'm trying to learn more about. Um, but there was an article in the New York Times that went viral, I think back in December. Uh, but it was, it was written by another psychologist. I forget his name, but he wrote the concept of languishing. And it's not a formal diag you know, psychiatric diagnosis, but he talks about the concept of languishing. You know, for y'all or your listening audience, and, and I don't have any connection to New York Times or anything, but, but um, you know, no financial uh, thing I need to disclose. But, uh, uh, um, you know, if you Google New York Times languishing, it'll pop up. And it's, it's a concept I do think that's getting a lot of discussion. So when we talk about a lack of hope, I think there are kind of gradients to a lack of hope. The first is, I mean, we all get down sometimes. We all get sad. I felt sad during the pandemic, you know, and the pandemic is still occurring. There's still people facing, you know, real significant challenges, including healthcare workers like y'all and you know, me, all of us, you know. Um, so we can all have kind of momentary lapses and that's normal. It's normal to be sad sometimes or to have our up, ups and downs. Um, and sometimes your downs, and this is kind of a hopeful potential note, sometimes your downs, you know, help you appreciate the ups more, you know, and that's not to be neglected. You know, it, you know, sadness, I will say, sadness could be one way that a lack of hope looks like. When you think about those negative emotions, and I also want to come back to your good question, Pam, but it's kind of like, a, you know, uh, laying the seeds for the answer. Um, if you feel sad, pay attention to your emotions. Your emotions aren't the totality of who you are. Like if you feel really sad, um, just remember that your sadness is an emotion and emotions can change. And if those emotions are really deeply entrenched, well, maybe it's, it'd be helpful to see a professional. And, you know, um, biological healthcare and mental healthcare are largely the same and largely integrated, you know? And so if your emotions are deeply entrenched and causing difficulty for how you want to be in the world, that might be a sign that you seek out a professional guide, so to speak. But um, if you're feeling sad, that's actually a gift in a way. It's a gift of insight so that you say, oh, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling down. I'm not feeling hopeful. I need to pay attention to that. It's kind of like if you're a runner and you, you know, you notice you're not, you haven't broken your leg. It's not a debilitating injury, but you notice a little, 
you know, in, in your foot or your calf muscle or something, you notice a little tightness. Well, you're going to pay attention to that. Maybe do a little extra stretching, maybe some cross training or you back off so it doesn't become an injury, you know? So use your sadness as an, as a data point to go seek out some yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, art therapy, you know, whatever it is. Um, but a lack of hope can, you know, I, one, one thing I liked about this languishing concept that's getting a, a lot of kind of academic discussion is languishing is not full depression. It's not burnout or trauma, but it is, I think, what a lot of people experience during the pandemic. It's kind of just a kind of the psychologist himself, I was listening to an interview of him the other day, uh, he kind of referred to it as a man, you know, like it's kind of, it's not a hopeful state, but it's kind of a, you know, not enjoying things quite as much, not as productive, moving slow. Now, some of that is natural and some of that is okay. Like we do want to be kind to ourselves. We want to give ourselves spaciousness, um, you know, during a pandemic when, you know, supply chains are disrupted and these kind of things, we're probably not going to be as productive as before. And that's okay. But again, just kind of be aware of yourself. And hopefully you can also look at other people around you. Like I use my wife and kids as a barometer. They're a barometer, you know, they're the canary in the coal mine. They can, they can often tell me more about my mood than I can. And I'm a psychologist, you know, so, <laughs> but I, I also appreciate, so, so use those people around you as guides for how you're doing. You may have lost some of that hopefulness and not even realize it, but other people can pick up around you. But yeah, I, I would say there's kind of gradients um, to what losing hope looks like. Sometimes that's, eh, Maybe that's just a, a down day, which is normal. Maybe you're kind of languishing. And then we also, languishing is kind of a between state. You want to be careful before it slips into depression or yeah. burnout, you know, those kind of things. Absolutely. Great question. And, that's, and that goes, when you're talking about burnout, that goes right into that caregiver fatigue and, you know, being very mindful of that. I, I, I think back to some of our yeah. discussions, Pam, and our previous podcast on, caregiver burnout and caregiver fatigue. So of course, while we are mentioning about four survivors, I definitely want to throw that in there again, that, you know, you, the caregiver is in the same boat. Yeah. And those are some, those are some great ways to kind of change your thoughts, right. Is to, you know, notice that I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to get there. I don't want to go too deep. I want to stay, you know, and, and shift back and, and kind of, change that mindset, but, and how, how else can our listeners, you know, as we say, cope with lack of hope or loss of hope and cope with that so that they shift back into a hopeful situation. You know, we talked about some classes yeah, yeah, yeah. about those, those are great resources. Is there, is there anything else? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of ways. Um, I'll offer two, by the way, I'll offer my well, I'll offer three actually, but, but the first thing is I'll just offer a personal thing I like that I do in my own day of life. Um, one of my hobbies is I really enjoy um, reading autobiographies, biographies, documentaries of psychologists, uh, spiritual teachers, maybe artists too. But I, I, you know, one thing I like to do is kind of, you know, read how exalted people do stuff. And then I try to learn from it, you know? So, you know, 
I don't know, you read Mother Teresa's diaries or an autobiography of the Dalai Lama, you know, or, or just mm -hmm. someone you admire. And, you know, because into every life, some rain must fall. We all have difficulties sometimes. And so one is I kind of try to study the masters and learn from them. Um, but then that's kind of a, you know, Dave hobby. I, I try to build hopeful, resourceful things into my life that are pleasurable. And so then it's kind of a win-win. But the other two ways I would say, in addition to things like having community, having a philosophy, having practices, which are definitely bedrocks, the other is how do you actually work with your brain? You know, because this is kind of the data center that sometimes drives things. Oh, yes. um, yeah. And we want to be a little careful because we're, we're even in some ways, like we have wonderful resources, you know, meditation, exercise, water aerobics, lots of great resources. But... Um, we are a little conditioned towards anxiety if we're not careful. On a neurological level, if you think about our evolutionary ancestors, you know, they're out in the woods or the, the, the panhandle of Texas or a desert or something, you know, and they didn't have Zoom or air conditioning or soap or antibiotics. They often, they had a shorter life expectancy than the miracle of modern medicine, you know? So back then, um, humans had a shorter life expectancy. And if you were anxious, if you were always worried and watchful, it was kind of a good cognitive strategy because life was so dangerous. And so it's kind of like our evolutionary neurological heritage has not caught up with the fact that, I know we're in a pandemic at the moment, but in general, you know, like for example, if you live in the United States, in general, for sure, life expectancy has gone up, you know, and many things which used to wipe out a village or something. I mean, now just hand soap and antibiotics take care of that, you know, so but we still have this kind of reptilian brain that's oriented towards anxiety, if that makes sense. So one thing we want to get and, you know, the easiest way to do this is counseling, but there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, you just want to get practice kind of like we said earlier, doing a psychological temperature check, just seeing what's going on. You know, um, how are you in the moment? How are you feeling? And one way is just to look at your thoughts. And you could say, for example, um, you know, I'm a bad radio host or I'm a bad nurse or I'm a bad psychologist. And we all we all have our little moments. Right. And then I'll give you an example. I, I, I was talking with a gentleman one time and, um, you know, it was a very successful executive. Sometimes high achievers can actually be insecure. That's a little secret. And then they're insecure and they crave praise. So that's why they become high achievers. But you can definitely see people who are ridiculously accomplished, you know, and, um, and internally they'll be filled with doubt. So one time I was talking with such a person and they had won numerous community awards, which they richly deserved. Like this was a really good, solid person, you know, and they were a successful executive and, you know, doing good in the world, like really, you know, sincere good. Um, and I was talking with this gentleman, but he was filled with self-doubt. So I said, okay, what's the actual evidence that, you know, you're a bad person, that you're a bad, you know, colleague to, at work and, you know, all these kind of things. And, you know, and I, I was kind of like, I'm waiting, you know, and I just kind of, you know, take your time. And he actually kind of walked through and he was like, I can't think of anything. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. Huh. What is the evidence that uh, you are, you know, a good executive and you take care of your employees and you do this stuff in the community? 
And he could actually come up with a lot of legit examples. And so one way is just to look at, you know, the data of our lives, you know, you know, is this, and it's kind of a values question too. Like, you know, if you think you're a bad mom or you think you're a bad caregiver or whatever it is, is this something that's actually true? Like, does the data support this? Or is this something I'm kind of taking on? You know, is this some projection that I'm glomming onto my experience? You know, yeah. um, and, and so one way is to just kind of look at it and kind of Socratically question yourself a little bit gently, kind of question the thoughts, you know, another way, and it's a little bit of a bigger conversation, but, but, you know, we can talk about it, but, but there's kind of a meditative way you can deal with your thoughts. And, and sometimes we think about when I use the word meditation, we think this is like woo woo stuff or whatever, you know, you're some monk in fancy robes on top of a mountain. And that's not true at all. Um, meditation at the end of the day is just training your brain, just like an athlete trains their body. You are training your brain to help you be in the world the way you want to be in the world. That's what meditation is. It's the most natural thing in the world, actually. Um, and so you can kind of learn, you know, what you're doing in meditation is you're training your brain, literally, you're training your brain to put your thoughts and emotions on things that are helpful for you. That's what it is. It doesn't, you know, uh, I think meditation is great, but it doesn't have to be some mystical, magical, esoteric, it can be, or it's just like they say in Zen, uh, meditation is chopping wood and carrying water. It's just your everyday life. It's just what you do, you know, and, and I'll even take that a step further uh, and say, I'm willing to bet, obviously, you know, you guys have thousands of listeners on your podcast, you know, I have not met all your listeners, but um, I'm willing to bet almost everybody listening to this at one time or another has had a moment, maybe they're fishing, maybe they're walking, they're playing with their dog, that would be me, uh, you're, you know, playing with your kids or your grandkids, or you're listening to music or eating a delicious meal, you know, and in a completely normal, natural way, you step outside of yourself, and you just become immersed in whatever is the thing that is sacred to you. That's a form of meditation. You know, you're fishing like guys will be like, ah, oh, let's go fishing. What are they actually doing? You know, they'll catch a fish, maybe, but they're just sitting in nature, maybe in a boat, feeling the rocking of the ocean, not even talking, just being in meditation. You're you're meditating. You just happen to be holding a fishing pole, you know, so or really anything. Hunters, you know, you're up in a tree stand or something. Uh, ad admittedly, I'm, I'm not an expert on hunting, but forgive me, but you know, but like you're just out in the woods being very, very still waiting and watching. That's a form of meditation. So it's actually something completely natural to you. So to come back to your question, Ryan, I love your question. You know, like, how do we deal with that? One way, you know, you're like, oh, am I a good caregiver? Am I a good parent? Am I, you know, whatever it is? Well, what is the data? Because there's a decent chance you're beating up on yourself, you know, and we're more likely to beat up on ourselves when things are stressful, like, oh, there's a pandemic, you know, do we need to mask now or not? You know, it's confusing, right? So, um, you know, so one way is just to look at the data, but the other way is to approach your brain um, from a meditative framework. There's kind of a fancy term in psychology. It's a uh, cognitive... Um, cognitive diffusion, which is kind of a fancy term, but basically what it means, uh, and what I think you might be pointing to, Ryan, is 
if we feel stressed, you know, whatever it is, we're diagnosed with cancer, we got, you know, we're waiting for the, you know, MRI results, or there's, you know, oh, we're like in Austin, I think we're in stage two of the pandemic, you know, so sometimes you wear a mask, sometimes you don't, what do I do, you know? Um, and so if you, when you feel cognitive fusion means these conditioned thoughts start happening very quickly. And we've all felt that way where we start just really worrying and we feel out of control. And those thoughts can be like a snowball rolling down a hill. And so then we have the thoughts and you wanna be a little careful because when you have certain kind of thoughts, positive or negative, you're using certain parts of your brain. You then produce certain kinds of neurotransmitters, positive or negatives. And the, everything that's psychological is biological and reverse. Everything that is biological is psychological. Your brain is a part of your body. Like the mind-body connection, it's not just one. There's no distinction. Your brain is part of your body, you know? So, so you know, if you're feeling depressed or hopeful, you know, uh, you're using, you're having certain thoughts. Those thoughts are in certain parts of your brain. You'll start producing certain neurotransmitters and those neurotransmitters have a downstream effect for the rest of your body. So now you have a rapid heartbeat, shallow breathing, yeah. lower oxygen, skeletal muscle tension. So one thing to do, and I'll offer two things, but one thing, just like you flush chemotherapy out of your body, um, you, if you're doing Chai Chi, Qigong, water aerobics, kickboxing, whatever, you know, and, you know, one great way to help yourself psychologically, we hold stress and tension in our body physically. So literally anything you like massage therapy, I think you mentioned that Pam, you know, um, movement practices, Reiki, Tai Chi, Chi Gong, those things have biological and psychological value. The other thing, just to come back. So let's say you have these kind of racing thoughts, you know, and, and those thoughts are kind of getting fused in there. Well, let's have some cognitive diffusion. Like one way to approach it, I could say, ah, am I a good caregiver? You know, and I could say, you know, you could kind of run through the things. I could say, well, I did go to divinity school or I'm a psychologist, you know, and you could kind of go through the list, you know, uh, and that's one way. That's kind of a rational way. Or you can take a meditative way of re replacing with your brain or of working with those thoughts. Like Dave has the fear. I'm a bad caregiver. Okay. Well, for one, it is good to look at ourselves sometimes. You know, we all make mistakes, but let's say, no, I'm not making a mistake. Let's just say I'm judging myself. I'm a little bit of shame spot. You know, I'm not feeling hopeful, right? Well, I have the thought, Dave's a bad caregiver, right? Well, okay, the data doesn't hopefully support that. But, uh, you know, then I just, I kind of, it's almost like a meditative visualization practice. Like, I, there are clouds in the sky. I don't control the clouds. You know, the clouds come and go no matter what I do. And the reality is, you have over, all of us have about 80 billion cells in our brain. Our brains are an infinite sea of complexity. We're going to have all kinds of thoughts all the time. The pandemic will never end. The pandemic's over now. You know, just let those thoughts be like clouds in the sky. They come and they go. And you can even visualize the thought like the pandemic will never end. I mean, pandemics do end, you know, but the pandemic will never end or I'm a terrible caregiver. And you even visualize it like you put it. Uh, it's like a little drop of moisture and you put it in the cloud and you visualize it floating away but you just have these kind of visualization or meditation exercises and you don't even, you don't even fight the thought. You thank the thought. Like in a way, just like when we were talking in the beginning, Ryan, you were like, 
oh, you know, am I a caregiver? Well, you know, sometimes a good caregiver. Well, you know, when we feel fear, like a negative emotion like fear, that's kind of our brain trying to protect us. Like, don't be a caregiver, you'll mess it up. You know, like that's the fear, right? So then you say, hey, thank you, fear. Thank you, nervous brain. I've got this. You know, I'm driving the bus. Just enjoy the bus ride. It'll be okay. We've got this. Because a lot of time, our fear is trying to protect us. It's trying to help us. Maybe it's like an overprotective dad that's you know needs to back off just a little bit. You know, I say that as an overprotective dad. But you know, like uh, you know, and our fear is trying to protect us. And then you just say, "Hey, fearful brain, I've got this." And then it, you let it float away on the cloud. I mean, and there's a lot of kind of techniques like that. It's just kind of an overview. But yeah, different ways of working with the fearful thought. Simple steps. Yeah. Simple steps. Just practice. Just practice. Just start. Anytime you want to change your behavior, just take a little step. It's okay. Just start working towards it. Little yeah. steps mean a lot. And that's that's why they call it a practice, right? Yeah, well said. That's why they call it practice. We all make mistakes. We all bring ourselves back. Yeah, like, I mean, that's actually, it's funny you say that, Ryan, because that's like a classic staple of meditation, like mindfulness groups. They'll say, that's why we call it a practice. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wise words. Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pam, I, I tell you, this has been really, really helpful. I think in my own life, but I think uh, putting myself in the position of, of, of our survivors, um, there's a lot of takeaways from today's podcast. Yes. A lot. Um, you know, if one thing they can take away is that maybe Pam and Ryan and Maribel maybe have some things in place that makes sense of why it's there, right? <laughs> even <Sounds> like it. <laughs> even, even, even. I want to bring. I want to hit this really quick. Even well, David, when you said fishing, yeah. we we have a fly fishing outing that we do once or twice a year. Um, yeah. That we pair up our survivors who can come. We pair them up with a, a local uh, person who knows how to fly fish. And fly fishing can be incredibly intimidating because it's not just as simple as throwing a hook out there with a, a worm on it or something. Um, it's it's a little more challenging. And yet we pair them up with a, 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 a guide who knows what they're doing. And lo and behold, uh, they all do tend to catch fish. And um, it's an amazing time being outdoors, but it is. It's kind of that meditative. It's peaceful. It's quiet. Um, so even Pam, our fly fishing excursion has a purpose, right? Yes. And even our extra activities that we offer once a month, you know, um, they may be random, but um, it gives a chance for people to come together for community and, right. and support um, where others know what you've been through or what you, what it feels like to go through what you've gone through. That's right. So um I just encourage all of our listeners to um, at least try one class, try one new class um, this month and see um, if you need our calendar, make sure you contact us at 806-331-2400. 
David, thank you so much for all your information. Um, I know you could probably go on for another podcast, but um, we're going to be respectful for your time. And we like to leave our listeners um, on our last segment with Pete's powerful moment. Do you have a powerful moment that you could share with us? Uh, um, yeah, I, I, gosh, it's almost so hard to choose, but um I'll actually say, if you don't mind, I think I, I, a powerful moment is right now in this present moment. I'm just grateful to be with you all. I'm grateful to learn about the programs you offer. I'm grateful that, um, you know, the idea of integrative medicine, which is alternative practices that are being um, integrated and spread kind of throughout the world by people like you, um, that gives me hope this gives me hope like this present moment that i want to offer that as my peace powerful moment like i'm moved by what you all offer if that's okay <laughs> that that's not what i thought of saying but we i'm in the present moment that. with y'all <laughs> we, we we appreciate I, I can speak for pam we appreciate that because sometimes you know we do feel like sometimes we're on an island and try right. to explain that how how does this help and what does this look like and um you know there there is important pieces and parts to what goes on here um although we do kind of do some crazy goofy stuff sometimes but there's there's a point to it right fam <laughs> there, there is you know our crazy ideas are not just crazy ideas and um, we really want to just help those that are going through this time where maybe um Hope is uh, not always there, but we want to give them hope. That's right. That's right. And those those crazy ideas of the past, like some point people were like, oh, flying is crazy. And then the Wright brothers proved it wasn't, you know, like. <laughs> That's a very good point right there. That is a very good point right there. You know, to, to all of our listeners, just to kind of sum up today, we are hopeful uh, for the future. We're hopeful that you guys um, you know, you, you found us one way or another, you found us through our podcast, you found us through our, maybe an email you get from us. And we're hopeful that you'll give us, uh, our classes a try. You'll find some place to plug in. Um, if it, even if it is speaking with our counselor, um, the beauty of this is Pam, what is the, in it for them in terms of cost? It's just their time, just some time. Just sometimes, yes. It's entirely 100% free. Even our counseling session, even sitting down with Melanie for a massage. Yes. And wow. um, David, before we leave, I want to make sure if people want to learn more about you, how do they get in touch and um, oh. find you? Sure. Well, I, I do invite if you're, uh, especially if you're in the oncology community, I, I basically worked my entire career on oncology. Uh, my website is www, and then it's all one dot, uh, dr for doctor dr david zuniga all one word dot com it, it's just dr for doctor david and, and i'll spell my last name it's a little in spanish zuniga uh but z for zebra u as an umbrella n as in night i as an indigo g as in girl a as an apple z u n i g a so it's dr david zuniga.com and i have thousands of um stuff on integrative medicine, books, web pages, links, uh, communities, original videos of free guys that are truly free, like y'all, like no emails, not even an email signup list, uh, but you know, just like, or track, there's no tracking, but just free, like about two hours worth of free videos of guided meditation, including for cancer patients. Um, so, but yeah, uh, please, I try to make it a free community resource. I write a little column 
um, for the, st the statesman called Zen for Daily Living. Uh, but yeah, so I try to be available to, to yeah. like-minded folks like yourself. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, David, I tell you, we we certainly appreciate it. Uh, a wealth of knowledge. Pam, again, these are the kind of resources we seek out. Get Getting knowledge from folks like David to share, I mean, the wealth of experience in being on oncology basically your entire life. Um, there's a lot to share and uh, we certainly appreciate it. We certainly appreciate all our listeners and Pam, we want to leave them with a little bit of homework, right? We always leave them with homework. Yes. We can't get away from that. Let's do that. What do we want them to do this week? Well, let's um, have them come to one of our class. Yeah. One class this week. Absolutely. Check us out. Um, get on our website, 24survivorship.org. The calendar is on there. Again, if you're a little leery about coming to class, not sure what that looks like, get on our website, check out a couple of those YouTube videos. Again, that are there's no login on that either. It's simple, easy, point click, be on there. And then join us next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.